Oh, good morning to you all. It's uh, great to see you here. I'm um, feeling a little bit tired this morning. I uh, spent all yesterday um, doing my bronze medallion. I understand I passed. Um, I thought being the super fit person that I would I am, and the calm, assured, uh, non-panicky person that I would just romp it in and I'd find it all nice and easy. Um, it wasn't quite the case. <laughs> Running around a football field, it might be pretty fit, and I hopped in that water, I had to really swim 400, 400 metres, and about the 50 metre mark, I thought, hmm, this is not harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and... Um, I ended up, we had 13 minutes, I'd heard it was going to be nice and easy, a quite a, a chilled thing, I'd probably have a couple of minutes up my sleeve, so I just tried to maintain it so I didn't exhaust myself and still have plenty of effort for the day, and yeah. I'm thinking, I joked afterwards, it says, yeah, I didn't want to waste any extra energy, and I just, I, had, I could have come in another few seconds longer, and um, we had to uh, learn all this recess stuff and um, learn how to handle crises. And hey, I've always thought myself pretty cool under a crisis. Um, I, my mum says about my dad that he, he never seems in a hurry. And, um, um, but we had to have all these rescue scenarios. And uh, it's amazing um, having to do that. We'd all just learned, we're all fresh and so on. But as soon as we're putting into, put into this thing, suddenly I started um, calling for ambulances when I didn't even have a patient yet. And um, it was, uh, I was rescuing the wrong person, rescuing one who um, was nearly dead already and letting another one who's actually quite good, uh, letting them suddenly find myself not being able to communicate properly, properly as well. And, uh, yeah, so it was a very interesting scenario. And um, I've been thinking about that as I've also been looking at this passage on um, in Second Thessalonians because the problem with the, at the church in Thessalonica was is that things and were coming. Um, they're in quite difficult and extreme circumstances and they might have thought at one stage that they were pretty cool that they could handle it all but in the pressures of the moment there was all sorts of reactions some were underprepared and, and not responding and others were were overreacting and and getting all flustered and so Paul writes um letter uh, this letter um, particularly to calm them down and all five them up depending on where, what their problem is and so that they can be solid and sure and and not upset in the midst of the life which they're going through and that's the challenge for us and it's an important passage so we want to have a look at it and I realize as I do this that there's a thousand landmines which I've got to negotiate, okay? So what I'm wanting to do this morning is to really make sure we have a look at some of the key ideas, and those key ideas are things you've been heard wafting around. 
We just want to have a look at clearly what Paul is saying about this topic and particularly looking at a figure um, known as the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. So let's have a look at the passage. It says uh, from 2nd Thessalonians, it's, I've got 110, it's not 110, it's 210, I've muffed it there. Um, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Um, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit will come and speak to us. Lord, your word is filled with many things. And Lord, this teaching which we're looking at today is given for all Christians, that they might be faithful to you in their circumstances. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what you've written. And Lord, not only that we would be able to understand, that we would be those who stand firm and assured in the face of all of the things which life can throw at us and that our faith and our hope might be secure and stable because it is founded on the truth. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. The um, problem where, uh, that Paul addresses in this passage is, is that um, what's happened is the church of Thessalonica is a church which is a young church. They have been radically transformed by the gospel. They've left um, their old, for many of them, pagan roots and families and and they've become followers of Jesus. They've come to believe that Jesus died on the cross for to his great second coming when the evil shall be abolished and they shall inherit eternal life and glory with him but somehow or other and Paul is sort of a bit indefinite as to what's happened here somehow or other some in the church have come to believe that the day of the Lord has 
come. Now, exactly what had happened, we're not particularly sure, but we seem to think that Jesus is um, on his way right now. The end of the world's going to happen and they're going to enter into this eternal life. And so instead of doing the things which they're supposed to do in life, they've, um, they've started engaging in foolish behaviours. Now, we... We can go through church history and find many, many occasions where this has happened. Um, in the 1800s, the whole world were convinced about Jesus coming on a certain day and many sold their property, they quit their jobs. In fact, many of them went out on a hill in America and were waiting for the return of Christ, which never came. Um, it was such a big event across the um, evangelical Christianity in um, America, but they call it the Great Disappointment. And um, it was absolutely huge. Throughout Christian times, there have been many times where people have thought, yep, it's it, and they've decided, okay, rightio, I'm not need, I don't need to live life normally and just be faithful and work and work for Jesus and do the things I should be doing, but I need to make this radical change um, and because he's right at the door. And so that's what's happened. Um, and to that situation, um, later we'll have a look at it. He has to give some teaching about, hey, guys, mind your own business, like, I, like he had said in First Thessalonians, get to work, keep working, love your neighbour, love your family, and keep your faith strong. But he first deals with the issue of um, what is the main teaching about the second coming which he's given and which he'd given in the past. And um, the things Paul mentions is spoken of the fact that in the midst of um, history between the first and second coming, there will be a time of trouble where Christians will be constantly... Um, uh, challenged in their faith there will be regular persecutions but there will be times when things seem to be going well so there's the ups and downs and changes and process of history but that the Christian is to look forward to the great and glorious day when talks whenever he talks about this second coming that it is um, we're waiting for the the presence of Jesus. And another, another word he uses, we're waiting for the revelation of Jesus. So in this age, what we're doing is um, Christ is exalted to the right hand and he's unseen physically. And what we're doing is we're waiting for him to be present, to cut the word coming is his presence. We're waiting for him to come to the Lord, Lord's in this world and we're waiting for the the, tr the his exalted, glorious nature to be revealed. And the word used there is um, often apocalypse, apocalypse. It's um, where we get the word apocalypse, which we talk through revelation. And so Paul says that we're waiting for the presence and the revelation of Jesus when he returns. But um, we're also, um, Jesus is present before he comes before he is revealed there will be a final revelation of antichrist or this 
um, man of lawlessness. There would be this um, hostile, final person who is, in a sense, he's not Satan incarnate, but he is a man possessed by Satan and who is this final um, great opponent of Christ. In fact, Scripture designates how many days it will be. There will be this short time of three and a half years, 42 months or 1,260 days, plus or minus a few. There will be a time when, when this man is this lawless one, the whole of like it's Satan is revealed, his plan is revealed in this um, manifestation of this man of lawlessness or this person um, called the Antichrist. So that Paul gives here. Now, I want to um, have a look and um, just see some of the things which Scripture says about this um, figure called, um, he uses the man of lawlessness in this passage, but um, most Christians and most people um, use the word uh, antichrist. And so we'll just have a look at that, okay? Um, Now, one of the challenges of this message is I can deal with a lot of these things in depth. Okay, so because I don't say anything is not because I'm not unaware of these issues, but I've just got to quickly cover six points and I've got to do it in in about 10 minutes. Okay, so um, we just want to have a quick look at these points um, and we'll then move on to the application. Okay. Um, The first thing about Antichrist that Paul mentions is that he has already told this church in Thessalonica about him. And if we read in 1 John, John in a letter writes, he's already told these Christians about the Antichrist. And so my point is is that um, the idea of the doctrine of the antichrist and knowing about the antichrist is not something which is um, was a minor teaching in the church it was something which all the early church was taught about it now is and um when paul talks a lot of the phrases he uses in this passage were not his he's actually getting them from other passages in in this Bible, particularly from the book of Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 11 um, are are major areas where this future coming man of lust and he is always discussed in the light of just after this great darkness, this, this terrible final event in history, Christ will come, the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come and he will destroy him and bring in our great hope. And so when, this, when history hits its darkest, that's the time we are to lift up our eyes and look because our redemption is drawing near. This is only for a short time, Christ is coming. And so, um, can I say, um, just on this, there's lots and lots of, if I can frankly say, weird ideas about the future and things like that. Um, 
If you if if you want to know and say, well, I, this is what I believe. If you want if you want to be sure of that, you need to have a really, really, really good understanding of Daniel seven and Daniel eleven. If you don't understand and you, you read those passages and you and you're blown out of the water, um, just profess your ignorance and just say, well, I know that Antichrist is coming, and then after that, Jesus is coming. Okay, um, now. The book of Revelation opens this up more, particularly in Revelation chapter 13 and 17. Have a read of them. You will go, oh, I wasn't I'm not as sure as I was about what I thought. Till 11, Revelation um, 13 and 17, we talk about these events. And just find before I move from this first one is that there's various names on Paul uses in First Thessalonians, a man of lawlessness. Um, John calls him the Antichrist uh, Daniel calls him the little horn and he also calls him the abomination of desolation but uh, one, Antiochus Epiphanes and there's a second one which was the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and then there's this final one which the other the first two are like um, a climax he brings those two and he brings the uh, the uh, all the characteristics of the, both of those into this final manifestation. Now, I just mentioned those just to say, look, I understand the complexities of this thing and we can't have a look at it. But let's have a look at the second thing. Is, is The key character about this man of lawlessness is that he is against Christ's law. And that's why Paul calls him. He is the man of lawlessness. And so the idea here is that the key characteristic... Um, of this, this person who will appear, this great king who will appear just before Christ comes back, um, is that he will be one who is opposed to the law and standards of Jesus. It's against God's, Christ's rule. Now, we see that, for instance, in, in the book of um, Acts, where Paul and the early people of the gospel says, God has appointed Jesus as your king. He is the king and kings and lord of yours. And he is your king. And he sets the standards. He sets the, the, the truth about right and wrong. And you need to submit to him and obey him because he is your king. Now, the world loves grace. Everyone always comes and he is the, the personification of human rejection of the rule of Christ in their life. That's what he is. We will not have this one rule over us. We won't have any one telling us what we can do and what we can't do. So the, um, the Antichrist is against, against the cross of the need for repentance. But Christ demands a punishment for sin, but he does offer a chance for redemption and forgiveness. Um, the third thing we see about this Antichrist is we're told that he will, his activity will be according to the work of Satan. In other words, he comes in as a deceiver. In other words, for people who are ignorant... He will, he will seem like the saviour. 
He will seem like the great king and and hope which they were wanting, but it will be as Satan is, as a deceiver, as one who who pretends to be a, a messenger of light, but is actually a messenger of darkness. And so... Satan is always like that. Satan doesn't appear when he wants to appear as you know this red scripture as an angel of light. And so um, this Antichrist comes as a uh, as as using the methods and, and means of of Satan deceiving in order to destroy. That's what he comes as a deceiver in order to destroy. Um, this is the most difficult part of this one, this passage. In the passage we see here that Paul says that, um, that this Antichrist um, has not yet appeared because there's a restrainer. And in that talk of the restrainer, one time he says, um, he says what is holding the appearance of Antichrist, and then he calls who? The one. And so there's this strange thing, and I wish, that the, I feel like pulling my hair, I said, Paul, why didn't you just say it instead of saying, we know, you know? <laughs> just, hey, it has boggled the minds of expositors, and um, everyone who goes and says this, well, I'm like, no. Okay? For the want of being a fool... These are my two thoughts, this restrainer, okay? But what happens is there's that um, in the passage we see that um, it says this antichrist won't appear until what or who is, who is holding you back. And my thinking is from the context that maybe what Paul's referring to is, is that God himself has forbidden the a, a Satan to be able to do miracles and signs and so on to, to deceive. He's limited the power of Satan and that what he's going to do is in the final um, few years, in order for Antichrist's restraint, and so this restraint upon the ability of Satan to, to do works of power will be removed. And so that's why you can get the who and the what. Now, another alternative is, 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 is that what, uh, again, looking at the passage, is, is that what God removes is, is the desire of nations to all work together, become a one-world government, but God has kept a principle to keep them divided. He did that at the Tower of Babel, and what happens at the end of time, he removes that principle of div- keeping the nations divided. Now, both of those are true, even if they're not what Paul's referring to. Okay, so the point is, is that this Antichrist will be allowed by God to manifest counterfeit miracle signs and wonders. And we're told that it would deceive the elect. Now, the fifth one is, is that um, the Antichrist is an alternative Christ. The word anti doesn't just mean against, it means in place of. And so the Antichrist is an alternative, we're told, to those who refuse the truth. 
And so um, I've got here that the Antichrist is a trap set for unbelievers. A, a lie because they refused to receive the truth as in order to, to show their terrible rebellion against God and order to begin his process of judgment. And so we see this clearly stated by Paul here. It says, they perish, that's the people who follow the Antichrist, they perish because they refuse to love the truth so, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they would believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And so the Antichrist is the one that people will jump upon and he is called by, in this passage, the son of position or the the man doomed for destruction and people jump on him into his ship and the ship goes down when Christ returns and so it's um, a trap set for judgment to show how ripe the world was for judgment and how deserving and the final thing is 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 and this is probably one you said probably the most important of all of these is that is that antichrist is a principle before it is a person and that There is a spirit of Antichrist in the world throughout this whole age. Now, that's why every, virtually every age is almost almost upon us. Well, there is. It's always that case. There's always this present manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist. There's always contenders. And we can go throughout history and see lots and lots of people. The most striking one was Hitler. How many Christians, if you had been in, you would have, yeah, Hitler's the Antichrist. And we can go back throughout history, ideas and thoughts of, of that. When the, when, the world, um, when the League of Nations was first formed, people said, yes, yes, this is the Antichrist. Well, yes and no, it's the spirit of Antichrist. And so we see... And I look in some of the things that are happening with COVID and we might have heard things like the Great Reset and so on and so forth. You might have heard amongst various Christians, vaccines, vaccines are it. They're, they're going to inject you and that's, that's part of the mark of the beast and so on. And there's truth in them, in that there's a spirit of Antichrist. But uh, we need to be... Uh, understanding that he's always there and we will know just as when Christ returns we will know that Christ is there don't go if you hear rumors you will know and don't know don't go and say yeah this is the antichrist you will know Without a shame, we'll just read a couple of verses here where John says that, Dear children, this is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. Now he's writing this in you know, maybe AD 70, maybe AD 68 or something. Even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Then he goes on in verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 John but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God this is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard okay just to conclude and to respond Um, what's the purpose of this teaching Paul writes 
in verse 2 says, I'm writing that you might not become easily unsettled or alarmed. But you would not be easily unsettled or alarmed. In other words, when it comes to Antichrist, be deceived. Can I just say on this, read the scriptures. If you don't understand the scriptures, um, you're not in a position to weigh up some of the things and the ideas and the thoughts. Read the scriptures. Don't read the pre- the, just the present. Read the scriptures and know. Now we see that, for instance, um, in, um, in Matthew chapter 24. When, verse 4, when Jesus was asked about the coming, what did he say? He says, do not be deceived. Verse 3, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. In verse 3 of, of First Thessalonians 2, it says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Um, secondly, hey, the scripture writes about the Antichrist is not so that you can appear really, really smart and have something to talk about and to get really excited about it, to say, well, look, I know, and, and so on. And that's uh, led so many Christians astray when it comes to the whole doctrines of the Antichrist and the Second Coming and so on. It is not something to go, hey, I know. It's about preventing you from being discouraged. That's what it's about. What happens is we are to, to live consistent lights not being tossed around by every circumstance so that when when things are going well but we won't allow our love to grow cold when things are going really really badly we can know that Christ has victory over the forces of evil and so we maintain our confidence in the fact that our salvation is nearer now so as Paul says in verse 2 do not become easily unsettled or alarmed. Yes, there is a spirit of Antichrist. Yes, there shall be this great coming and an unveiling of this great evil just before Christ returns. But this spirit is working throughout history in our lives, in the lives of our countries, in the lives of the world, and in the political structures. Yes, it is, but you are to keep your minds fixed on Christ. Your own businesses, doing your own thing, being faithful, no matter the circumstances. And so the idea of scripture again and again is whether it be a short time or a long time before Christ comes, I shall remain faithful and sure. But my hope is set. Christ is risen and my hope is secure in him. And I will look to him in confidence in the worst of situations. And I will maintain my love and devotion to him when things are going well. That's what Paul wants us to do. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you've given us enough information about this age and about um, the rise of evil just before you come. 
Lord, but you're not trying to make us into um, smart Alex, but you're wanting us to be prepared and to be faithful and to persevere no matter what happens and to maintain our confidence and our hope that even when the darkest day comes, we shall lift up our hearts and our minds to you and know that our redemption is drawing near. Lord, and I pray for anyone who here who, or maybe they're, they're, they've not received that love of the truth that, that they would be saved. They've, they've not submitted to, to Christ. They're anti-Christ. They're anti-his rule. Maybe they want his grace, but they have not submitted to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would use this time to, to draw them and enable them to, to choose Christ and not rebellion. Amen.